Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm sitting here in Las Vegas, in the Flamingo, and no, I haven't been here since CES. <laughs> I haven't been here, uh, even though I am back in Vegas. Just a little over a week after I left for CES, I'm back. I'm going to the Kitchen and Bath Show. Uh, the National Kitchen and Bath Association asked me to come and talk about the future of the Connected Kitchen, which is apropos for this podcast, because that's what this podcast is about. I'm actually... Recording an intro to a podcast I published last week for the Smart, Ki- Smart Kitchen Show. Uh, that was really a look at what I saw at CES around the Smart Kitchen. I had a conversation with my friend Brian Frank, who helped me out with the Smart Kitchen Summit. And I invited him on to the Smart Kitchen Show so we can talk about what we saw. And much unlike that podcast, uh, this one is being done on a lesser mic. I'm actually recording this on my smartphone. Uh, so you might notice a little bit of difference from the normal quality uh, that one was done on a, uh, a lesser mic as well, so I apologize about that. We will get back to better quality mics and more regular podcasting next week and in, in February when there's less travel, less trips to Vegas. And I also had a weekend trip to Charlotte to watch a certain football game that didn't go so well. For those of you who aren't fans of the Seahawks, yeah, feel free to laugh. Uh, I, I encourage you. Uh, but it was fun nonetheless. I went with my wife, and we had a good time. So hopefully well, there will be less travel next week next month and we'll be getting back i also have told you and i will be doing a 2016 smart home outlook that will incorporate some of my thoughts about ces incorporate and weave in some of the things i saw there so rather than do a 2016 ces complete uh massive review i will be leaking and kind of filtering that into uh, my outlook for 2016 which will, will come at this point probably in february i have lots of great smart home Interviews lined up as well, so stay tuned for that, as well as my outlook. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this uh, Smart Kitchen show that I'm republishing. Uh, And if you haven't subscribed to the Smart Kitchen show, you can find it in iTunes. You can also find it at technology.fm. And if you haven't subscribed to the Smart Home show, which would be weird because you're listening to this now, why don't you do that as well? All right, folks, thanks for listening. My name is Michael Wolf, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. So I think that people probably remember you, Brian. Uh, from if, if they've listened to the Smart Kitchen show, you were in I think episode three or so. Um, you're the food tech investor expert, as NPR would describe you, um, for FTW Ventures. Is now you weren't calling it then, like that's a new name, right? Yeah, yeah, brand new name. Uh, feed uh, f- food tech worldwide, or for the win, depending <laughs> on how who we're talking to. Kind of like you know, kind of a little tongue in cheek there. Just you know, trying to be a little fun with the name. So you helped me bring together the, the Smart Kitchen Summit uh, startup cook-off, which was really a pitch session. And we had fun kind of filing through the, the applications. But you, and the reason I had you help me with that is you're so good at spotting and finding Smart Kitchen startups. Um, and, and, we, and so I want to talk through CES with you because you were watching from afar. You had some, some spies on the ground and <laughs> talk about what some of the big guys are doing and also some of the interesting startups. Absolutely. Sounds, sounds like a great idea. Let's, let's jump right in. I think, so let's talk about the appliance makers and the big guys first. I, you know, one of the things I've written about first was I think one of the big announcements was the Whirlpool announcement where they, they basically produced a suite of products, you know, a refrigerator, a washing machine, or, or a dishwasher in a range that were connected and had both dash integration and nest integration. And why well, I, I think that, I, I don't know how far these guys are going to go down the path. I mean, how big, uh, a lot of the pie makers are going to jump into this market. It's interesting. One of the biggest has already jumped in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the good thing is they're thinking about it as a system. Um, you know, you're trying to do a certain set of tasks in your kitchen or more broadly in your home. And, and they kind of really all, all need to be on the same wavelength um, with what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, that's really the promise of the smart home that, that we talk about, right? Um, so it's good to see Whirlpool jump in and kind of try and take a leadership in that. You know, you're kind of wondering where's Google, you know, more broadly, you know, with, with Nest and their smart home initiative 
like we've where's Amazon with obviously what they're doing with Dash and uh, you know Alexa and and the uh, the smart speaker that you can talk to, and, and you know ultimately who, where's the sleeping giant in Apple, right? You know that we're all waiting to kind of get into this game as well. But you know I, I champion Whirlpool and obviously Samsung. Um, with smart things, you know, there, there's going to be some big incumbent players in the kitchen yeah, yeah. that I think are going to move fast, you know, to try and own this market. One of the big themes that emerged from CS was Amazon was the quiet star of the show. And a lot of people were pointing at Alexa uh, and Echo. But I, I think if you look more broadly at Amazon, they were everywhere, including Dash. And so I think the Whirlpool Dash integration was a big announcement for them. And I, I do think it's interesting that they're pushing hard into the space around replenishables and renewables and into kitchen. And while Apple, who I've heard actually has a boatload of kitchen centric patents, largely seems to be missing at the same time. Yeah, it, it definitely, that was the sense I got watching from afar was Amazon was definitely the ingredient inside. They're kind of like the Intel inside of the smart home right now because everybody's jumping on that bandwagon. I think, you know, them having a big investment fund to Alexa enable a number of devices doesn't hurt, right? When you start throwing money around developers and the big manufacturer will go, well, we'll take it a little more seriously. This thing's going to be around. It's got legs. Yeah, $100 million. They're kind of throwing around money. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah, walking so- into the party and just throwing around money saying, everyone jump on the Alexa train. And everyone is. And, and not, it's, But it's not just people they're investing in, although there were some companies like Invoxia who's making that connected kitchen speaker yep. that's done that third-party integration. but. It's companies like Vivint, which is a massive security company, <laughs> and they, you know, they don't really have kitchen story, but they like this idea of Amazon Echo sitting in the kitchen and and saying, "Hey, turn on my lights or walk my door." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a command and control interface, um, and I think Amazon's doing something really smart, which is like what you're saying, which is the replenishment market. There's an idea that there are disposables in your house that you're going to constantly need, and Amazon just wants to be closer to that ordering process, right? And the closer they can get with hardware, with you know, voice command, it just benefits that they're a lock-in to get that those dollars that are going to go down that right. That and path. I think while Google and Apple were focusing on the lower layers of the stack, I wrote a piece about this. You know, they basically mm-hmm. wedge themselves above them and say, "Hey, you guys can worry about communication protocols and all that stuff. We're going to create this entirely new commerce layer and own it." Yeah, because that's where we think all the money is, and so it's actually kind of brilliant. I think it's really smart. I guess the question in my mind still remains: What are the primary use cases where replenishment services really are going to be valuable at the end of the day? I mean, a good example is the company that I I work with, Tiforia, that was at CES, and Tiforia is going to have the replenishment service built into their device. The device will scan your tea packages because it's a tea making device. And then it'll know how many you have on hand or how many you've used. And then it'll call its internal service or possibly a third-party service, you know, depending on how they, how they build that out, to replenish those things, you know, as you need them, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering how many of those actual use cases exist and where Amazon sees the best bets. Because they clearly made a bet in, in the book case, and, and they're, they're killing it, right? They are the number one biggest bookseller in the world. Um, how many other use cases are there. So I look at the replenishment services and go, what are the number one use cases that make sense for consumers? What really changes the consumer game? I think grocery ordering is one that everyone's betting on, right? And you saw that with what Samsung said is, we're going to partner with MasterCard and you're going to be able to order all this you know, food for your smart refrigerator. So, so Amazon Fresh and their food ordering seems like it's something that more and more people are going to want to do at home you know, directly without having to go to the, to right, the right. grocery store. I don't know if you feel the same way about that, but it seems like that was a number one theme from a number of different people is replenishment, but just more broadly food ordering was a big deal for the kitchen because you're going to need the ingredients, you're gonna, you know, things are going to expire, we're going to yeah, watch yeah. and track those things. Yeah, I think GE calls it the digital thread where they kind of basically track, um, you know, IoT information from point of consumption all the way back into kind of the value chain where you, you buy it and even back into manufacturing. I think... Amazon's trying to create this digital thread from the point of consumption in your house That's all right. the way back to where you actually order it. And maybe backwards, even up into the kind of the value chains where uh, maybe some sort of information is aggregated and given to manufacturers so they know. Who yeah. knows? I mean, how far they want to push that, but it's interesting. You brought up Samsung, yep. and I want to bring them up next because it seems like they brought uh, back a, a – uh, a, a blast from the past with this, <laughs> with this, with this connected refrigerator that has. You know, a, a, most of us are who follow the connected kitchen space really closely. And there's a, maybe a, there's not a ton of us. Yeah. Um, 
know that this idea of the connected refrigerator has become kind of a cliche and maybe is like a little bit of a, a thing that the smart kitchen is battling against because it's been out there for years. People have been creating, creating these Frankenstein refrigerators with, with, uh, you know, displays on them since the early 2000s. Yeah. And then in the, <laughs> Samsung came out and created a new one. Yeah. And, and so they kind of got pretty widely panned. What were your, what were your thoughts on that thing? Well, I, it's funny. You, you say blast with plastics. Exactly the thing I, I took away when I saw it. Cause you know, I was, I was at Palm back in the early 2000s, and we had a concept called the refrigerator computer. Um, and the idea was everybody was walking around with their, at the time, Palm device in their pocket, but now smartphones. And we were all beaming our information and sharing our information through the refrigerator, because that's where you put your kids' drawings. That's where you put the schedules of, you know, when you have to take little Susie to soccer practice. Like, that's where it all ended up. So Palm, originally, we thought that there was going to be this hub that was going to exist there. And I don't know if you remember the device called the Audrey um, back in the early 2000s. It actually was the first kind of kitchen computer. It was meant to be a, a consumer device that sat in your kitchen that synced everybody's schedules and then had the ability to look up information and order products and stuff like that from like an Amazon-type store, all from this what could basically hang on a refrigerator thing. So when I saw the Samsung refrigerator, I'm like, we're back to that day where everybody <laughs> thinks we have to put a big screen right. on this refrigerator, and that screen is going to be how we're going to interact with things. I don't know about you, but I don't spend much time in front of my refrigerator. I mean, I open the door, I look and see what I want, I pull it out, and I'm done with that interaction. So I really don't know what putting yeah. a big screen on the front of this thing is really meant to do for us You know, at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, it's, it's Samsung continuously surprises me with for such a big, impressive technology company. Will actually throw some pretty sloppy and ugly spaghetti against the wall when they're trying new products, and and you know they they are a company that um, it just you know is one of the kind of the dominant mobile phone companies, but then you just see something like this and you wonder what what product executive okayed this. I mean, it's it's, I you, think it's a problem that. It's a problem that Samsung always has. It's technology for technology's sake to a lot of degrees. Because we can put a big, beautiful screen on front right, of a refrigerator, right. we'll make up use cases that people will find valuable, or we think people will find valuable. Well, here's the thing. I mean, they have to know that refrigerator lifespans can last up to 10 years, even longer. And you're putting a screen on a refrigerator. Are you going to be supporting that, that screen and upgrading the software in five years? Oh, Michael, I know this uh, internally. Like, So I ran uh, several Twitter clients uh, when I was at Twitter recently, uh, several years ago. And one of my clients was Samsung. And they had Twitter embedded in their smart refrigerator. I mean, this is not new for Samsung. Samsung's had an iteration of a screen. They had a tweeting refrigerator. They had a tweeting you're... refrigerator. It was a big deal. And, they, and I kept meeting with them. And they're like, well, so um, you cannot deprecate the API for this old Twitter client. We're like, no, of course we can. Like, we're a software and services company. That's what we do. We improve things. And when you improve them, you have to get rid of that old API. And they're like, but we have all these refrigerators. And I literally sat in a, in a meeting and I looked up how many clients they had on it. I guess, guys, there, there's not enough to make it worthwhile. Like, I don't even know why we're talking about it. It's, it's literally a tech demo. It's not utility for a consumer. Right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll look back in like a year or two and see where this fridge is. Samsung, to me, because I, I follow them closely, they oftentimes will talk about something at CS, and it's completely forgotten the next year. Like, they, they feel like people don't look backwards. <laughs> and they can just like, because they feel like they treat CES like this, hey, we're, you know, this show where they want to kind of show off, and but they don't kind of think about the long-term implications, how you have to support this product down yep. the line. One of the interesting announcements I thought, and it, and this was a little bit different announcement because there was no new, no product announcement around it, was the Perch and Init deal. Did you see that? I did not. Yeah, catch me up on that one. So Perch, as you know, is one of the most interesting retail companies, I think, because they're, they're kind of creating a new experiential retail that I think to a degree that you haven't really seen before, particularly focused on, on the home and in, in the kitchen. And they did this deal mm -hmm. with Init, which is mm -hmm. this company that's trying to basically become the internet of of food in a sense, like they're trying to basically map food and, and kind of bring that into the kitchen. And so they did a deal where Purchin in were going to create a future kitchen concept store in, in New York and, and purchase like massive new store. Oh, you know what? I walked by that new store when I was in New York last yep. weekend. I saw the sign and I, I had a conversation with people like, did you know a purchase coming? And they all had this really like, it's the first place they're going to go and get to see and play with 
all the gear that they want for their kitchen, which I think Perch has already really done a good job at least branding themselves to the, to the, to the modern people like yourself and myself and my, my friends that go out there. So that's great to see that they're. Yeah. And going in, always going into New York is kind of a, a big deal for any yeah. store kind of like that. Then that's when the media world often really pays attention. In it also, did, so in it, they basically did a deal also with good housekeeping, which I think is interesting. So they're not only partnering with retailers, they're partnering with publishers. And I think that's a really smart thing to do because when you think about the ecosystem of how people kind of engage with food, you know, and think about what is going to be coming in their kitchen, they look to a number of different kind of, I would say, experts or resources, right? Um, there hasn't really been a good expert or resource in the retail space, you know, to date. I mean, I think you're seeing Perch is a great example, but there's a number of other examples like Beta Shop in Palo Alto um, and uh, uh, several others that are in the works right now that are trying to showcase modern connected ga- gear for the home, the, for the home in general, more for the home kitchen as well, uh, in a new and unique way where we can actually play and, and engage with it. I mean, state of the art right now is Best Buy. And I don't know if you bought any equipment at Best Buy. It's not the greatest of experience <laughs> to buy from Best Buy, right? Yeah. And that's why we got people like, like Perch, like Ron Johnson with Enjoy, rethinking how we're going to kind of engage with this modern gear and get set up and learn how to use it. Because it does take a learning curve, you know, at the end of the day. This is not stuff that you just walk in um, and turn it on and it just, it, it does what it says it's going to do. You have to connect it to your network. You have to learn how to inter- interface with it from your mobile phone or tablet. Um, and I think that's the interesting thing that, that in it is going to find and, and why they need these outlets, both a physical outlet like a Perch but also why they need kind of media outlets using and talking about their products because people go to expertise. Um, I think we see this whole new wave of food media. Um, and I actually think, you know, for a theme for 2016, that's probably what we should be talking about, which what is the next Food Network 2.0? Right, like, right. What are the millennials looking at to make their purchase decisions? So I think, and it's really smart if Good Housekeeping or whoever they did their partnership with um, you know, is the one that they think that people are looking to. I think there's more beyond that. So my guess is in it is probably, it's a long game for them. How many more media outlets, how many more good partnerships, you know, can they get into that speak to the new modern kitchen purchaser? And the interesting thing is, um, and I think we'll see this in the research this year, the purchaser is actually probably a woman between the age of 25 and 40, um, which is not a market that, you know, traditional tech nerds are used to selling into. So I think good housekeeping, again, I think the target demographic and who they're looking at places like Perch is going to be really good for them this year. That's a great marriage of, of you know, two two sides with, with good housekeeping in it that really need each other. Because good housekeeping is a very well-known brand, uh, has a lot of brand affinity in that 20 to 40-something uh, female marketplace that you talked about. But then in it is, a, you know, a tech company. And so, right. and, you know. And it's interesting that both retail and publishing are trying to modernize themselves. And when you look at a kind of a very vertical space like food, um, that's an area where someone like Enoch could probably help both of them. And yet they really need their partners, like you said, in the physical world as well as publishing. So that's, I think that's going to be an interesting partnership. Let's talk about some of the, the specific devices we saw. And I'm going to go a little bit by category. Sure. Um, Smart bar is interesting to me, <laughs> and there's a lot of smart bar stuff uh, at the show for. Did you see Soma Bar, or did one of your spies yeah, spot no, Soma Bar? I saw Soma Bar, yeah, uh, Bartesian, right, uh, 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 which is the pod-based cocktail system. Yeah, it's basically uh, yeah. a, you know, you have like maybe four or five chambers for your yep. your different mixers, and then you can add your own alcohol, and it, it basically robotically mixes um, a cocktail. Now, yes. here's the thing. I'm not a big believer right now, at least. Uh, I can be convinced over time in, into food robotic mixers because I think that that's just going to be a harder thing to do. But I think drink robotic mixers actually make some sense um, and probably is a lot lower lower friction thing to get right yeah. <laughs> than it is food robotics, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you have, um, you have a limited number of ingredients. Generally, on someone's bar, you only have a couple kind of anchor liquors, right? It's not... It's not this big kind of uh, multiplexing problem that you have with cooking. Right. And, licks, uh, and it's the same density for the most part. I mean, you have obviously different liquid density, but you don't have, you know, like flour versus like kale versus, <laughs> you know, he's, like doing food robots in different chambers could be massively difficult because it's exponentially more difficult in terms of just the variety. But, right. with, but with liquid, it's just easier. 
Yeah, and I hate to, I hate to, you know, I hate to, you know, trivialize my friends that are, you know, that are bartenders here in, in San Francisco. You know, there is a, a certain set of skills that come with making a drink, right? Which is, it's getting the ratios correct is the number one most important thing, and that's something that just seems you can easily automate, and it gives you. And what I like to talk about in terms of these technologies is it gives users superpowers. Right? At the end of the day, when we're in our kitchen, we're looking to be up leveled. You know, and get to that next level. And all this interesting bar equipment is like it can do something that I couldn't do, or takes me some skill or time to learn how to do. But it can do that instantaneously. It can give me that power to create a great drink. You know, yep. it's tasty every time. And then the other thing that I like is um, it allows me to dial in and dial out the things that I like. So when I find that I like fruitier drinks, you know, it could recommend or adapt. You know, what I'm doing to those type of recipes. Um, so I think that there's a whole bunch of things that's there's a whole area of personalization of technology that I think we're getting into the kitchen because we all eat and drink differently. And I think the more that these things enable right. us finding our niche, you know, you know, the better. But I also like, you know, and then there's the conservative side of me, which is the market for bar gear is really small. Right. When you think about those of us that are willing to spend hundreds of dollars for a, a cocktail making robot, I don't know. How I, many there yeah, are that's, out a, there. that's an interesting debate to have because I think. It's small now, but who doesn't? I mean, there's a tens of millions of households that make drinks at home, and like, what a cool party toy! And I don't know if it has to get to the sub fifty dollar, you know, um, Brookstone type of like cool party toy, or like the ninety nine dollar cool Brookstone party toy, or if you come in at one hundred fifty dollars, you might get you know twenty million households to buy this because a lot of people like to drink at home. I right. don't know that. That's that's to be determined. No, and this is this is the year to figure that out. I mean, I think uh, Soma Bar, Bartesian. Uh, there was also Bernoulli, which was smart connected uh, pouring spouts, so you didn't need to even have a robot. You just put these spouts on your. And there's also, did you hear about Divine? I think it's Divine, Divine, which basically yeah. a 10 second cooling and oxygenates <laughs> basically oxygenates your your wine perfectly, lets yes. it breathe instead of doing it for. 10 minutes, you can do it in 10 seconds. And exactly. I actually tried, I tried it and actually tasted it. was good. Yeah. And I'm not a super wine connoisseur, so it may have been like the taster error, yeah. but it seemed like it tasted better. Another uh, interesting thing, at least for me, is I saw a curd cold uh, yep. in the wild and actually had a pretty good mojito. Have you had any drinks out from the curd cold? You know, I haven't yet. I've seen them on the store shelves and I kind of have walked around them a bit and they're they're now, I think they have demo stations now at Sur La Table, so I'll probably stop in and ask for a demo of one of those, you know, someday. You know, I think Keurig has, they've had a really troubled set of six months lately. I mean, I think yeah, I agree. with the, the release of their V2 system that they got panned for their DRM yep. projection for, and then the Keurig yep. cold coming out at a really expensive price point. I mean, when you look at a cost per drink, you're still not, like, it's so much cheaper for me to just go grab a can off the shelf. But here's the thing. Of- here's where I think Keurig cold excels with liquor, because I think... If you're going to just mix pop at home, there's a yeah. very small market for people who want to pay $3 for a pop. Yep. But people are willing, are used to paying $10 for cocktails. Yes. So if I could get a cocktail pod like a mojito and pour in a dollar worth of my own liquor, that actually makes a lot of sense. So I actually think it's more competing with the Soma bar, but probably more easier automation um, because people are used to this pod system from the, the Keurig's kind of gotten us trained to use. Yes, yes, yes. And so yes. I think they need to really go hard out to the liquor market, the, the, think, mar- the cocktail market. I think you're right. I think that that is a good opportunity. I think, um, you know, cocktail still is a place that we like to show off at a party, right? Like we just like to show our prowess or the, our learning and technique. The thing that I think that we don't want to show off our prowess or is just too much work or effort is things like brewing beer. And I, and I know you've been a long proponent of Pico Brew, and they, they were demoing at CES, and I think they got a lot of great rave reviews because now it's just so easy to make beer at home, right? You don't have this whole mess and this whole process that you have to monitor and manage. So me as an average home consumer can drink homemade fresh beer, which you know seems like, again, like I said, a superpower. You know that they're giving me that I couldn't otherwise have. I don't know what you what you've been thinking about them recently in relation to the the home bar. Well, I bought one. I don't know if you know. I, I actually <laughs> I crowd I crowdfunded their five hundred dollar Pico brewing device. We were actually you and I were lucky enough to go and visit Bill before they announced it and kind of got the tour behind the scenes, and we were pretty excited because you know it was it was a, a big step forward from the original um, original Pico brew device. Yep. I think what I'm excited for, just for the industry, is the next device. Like, what's mm-hmm. that next device, device going to be? Is that going to be like the $300 home beer brewing machine? I don't yes. know. And what was interesting is Bill talked about at the Smart Kitchen Summit is they're actually toying with 
some of the core science. And I don't know how fast you can get beers, you know, fast fermentation to go, but if they can actually get that to move faster, that that's really interesting. Yeah, and I think that that's where we're seeing a lot of things. It's you know we're caring about the ingredients that we put in our bodies. So anything that makes a good, high quality product with little effort from scratch is going to be very, very interesting. Um, you know, in the future, and I think Pico Brew, and there's a number of pl- things that I'm looking at, mainly in the growing systems. It's like, you know, we really care where our food comes from. We care about eating healthy and natural these days, and we care about having a good, high quality product. You know, that we that we make ourselves. So I think they're they're leading a revolution, which I'm really happy to see. Um, you know, again, I really want a big market for these things, and I think the home brewing market is one of the fastest exploding you know, in the space. So I, I'm really excited about that kind of space. I think more generally, beverage wise, I mean. Uh, I want to keep talking about coffee or keep talking yeah. about well, let's move on to coffee and tea. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I saw the smarter connected coffee machine, which, you know, we've been hearing and seeing a number of different connected coffee machines. I don't know. Did you get a chance to see it? What was there? Is the guys that made eye kettle. Yeah. So there, I, when I stopped by and met with smarter, they were showing their coffee machine, which I think is interesting. They actually hold, had a whole new retrofit connected kitchen system, including a smart pantry yes. system, as well as a retrofit ki- uh, kitchen camera. Which I thought was interesting. They're basically broadening beyond the, the kettle, which I think gained them some pretty good wide recognition because they were the yep. first to really do the smart kettle. Uh, and they, they kind of broadened into, into trying to be a brand for retrofit smart kitchen devices. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and sensing, you know, uh, I think they have the sensors, audio sensing tool. Which yeah. Is pretty cool. I want to get to the, the scanners and sensors because that actually was another big theme for me. But before we move on from like kind of the, the beverage stuff, you know, obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about Tephoria. I'm really jazzed about like the the modernization of the tea industry that Tephoria is leading. Um, and they were sitting in Intel's booth, so Intel has some hardware inside them, which is always a good thing. Intel likes to promote, you know, the, t- the things that use their technology. Um, but the fact that tea has never got the same kind of like uplifting that coffee's had. We've always mm-hmm. seen coffee machines. We've never seen a tea machine. Um, so I'm really excited about, uh, about what Tephoria is doing and the quality they can get. But again, you just can't do that yourself without understanding how temperature, time, all these right. factors affect crafting this beautiful product. Um, and, and I, I, you know, you and I have drank that. They, they attended your Smart Kitchen Summit and, and presented there on a panel. Um, and there was always a crowd around them. And even when I, I was getting pictures, there was a crowd around these guys. There's something about tea um, that is just getting people excited right now. I'm excited and, yeah, to see that. It was, it was a good placement for them in the Intel booth. You know, disclosure, I think you mentioned at the top, you're an, yes. you're, you're an investor advisor, and advisor. Advisor to, to Foria, so yeah. Um, there was one other smart tea company I saw, but it was actually more of an app that basically helped guide you through making tea. And I, I'll come up with the name later in the show notes if we need, if we need that. But yeah, I think, you know, Tephoria is really kind of the leading name I see in that space right now. Yeah, and, and it's good. I mean, they're making an industry. We'll see how it pans out again. I, as, an, as an advisor, I have a vested interest in them being big, but I, I, I also want them to carry a ton of other companies or ideas with them. Like I said, their, their smart reordering system is something that I, I, I think more people should think about, which is we don't want subscriptions. We don't want something showing up at our door every month. We want things showing up when we need them or when we care about having yep. them. And I think uh, IoT in the kitchen and IoT more broadly in the home is really about giving us insights into how we're using our resources, right? So resource management becomes a big deal, and it's something that these systems can take off of our head. Um, you know, and I know that that's what Dash is trying to do is resource management at a press of a button, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's great that we're going that direction. It wasn't just tea. I actually saw probably a little more uh, innovative, or at least a little more devices around the coffee side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you probably heard a spin, but I actually oh, yeah. bumped into Roland, uh, the, the inventor of the their centrifugal, <laughs> centrifugal uh, coffee or brewing system. Yes. What are your What are your thoughts about Spin? Spelled S P I N N for folks. Yes. Yeah, so I had met Spin a while back when they were just coming out of Highway One, one of the hardware accelerators here in the Bay Area. Uh, met uh, Roderick, the other one of the other founders. You know, I drank coffee from their machine, and I thought the coffee was amazing. Um, it, it is using the same technology that they they actually uh, patented the technology and licensed it to Nespresso, but locked Nespresso out by saying you can only do it from ground beans, not from whole beans. So that gave them the opportunity to build spin from to take from whole beans, grind and produce any number of different you know high quality coffee drinks out of that process, and it's really good. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to when they are actually coming to market, and that's that's the question I've been outstanding with them is when is this product going to hit the market? What's the price point? I don't know if they gave you any insight into those things. 
Um, but I know from a retailer perspective, having talked to a number of retailers, they all want the next-gen connected coffee machine. So they're all chomping at the bit to have either Spin or the smarter connected coffee machine. Or even one company even said to me, if you can find out who's going to own the IP from Quirky, because Quirky had a connected coffee machine, this retailer wanted to white label it. It's like, <laughs> it's like one of those interesting things, like coffee's not tapped out yet. And I think I think co- I think home coffee is ready for the next wave beyond yes. beyond the pot and yes. you know by, beyond the Keurig system. And I think you know it's funny because I had a company called Bone, I think called uh, Siva uh, at my yep. my summit talking about the future of coffee. But there's a company actually doing the same thing. I don't know if you heard of Bonaverde. Yes, yes. The Bonaverde Bona, Bona exactly. was there, and basically yeah. it takes green coffee beans, roasts, grinds, and brews in one machine. Yep. And yep. they were actually showing it. Uh, they invited me up to the suite to to actually nice. taste it, but I actually didn't have time. So one of the things <laughs> I was bummed about is my last day on the show for. So I'm gonna hope hoping to take advantage of that at some point later. But Bonaverde is interesting. It's it's like I said, it's basically uh, an entire coffee industry production process in in one machine. <laughs> you basically yeah. take, and it's funny because like Starbucks and Pete's Coffee and even the one that I work with here in the Bay Area, Phil's, they're all looking how do they get their experience more closer to the consumer in the home, right? Starbucks has a whole line of home products, you know, from coffee to instant coffee and things like that. Uh, Pete sells you a ton of beans, but they, you can't produce it in the same quality and consistency that they can do in their stores. And I think we're going to see a big push, not only from startups, but I think we're going to see the brand say, you spend X amount of time at home, you spend X amount of time at work, and you spend X amount of time at this third space. And Starbucks always calls it the third space. So they're going to want to rule coffee or tea in all of those spaces, right? And they've tapped out or they've done enough of the in-cafe experience. Um, if you go to work these days, at least here in the Bay Area, all of these companies have direct-to-office delivery. But no one's really understood how to unlock the home consumer experience. And that's going to be really, really exciting. Now, I mean, I think it's really kind of been in stasis since – the 90s and 80s and 90s when kind of home espresso machines took off and then you had a little bit of bump of innovation around pod brewing yep and, and maybe some french press but i feel like it's really kind of been in stasis and not a lot of innovation so you got to think one of these guys that has like this next gen thing is someone like starbucks is going to scoop up that's right um, to that's make right. And- to, to bring something into the home market and, Nest, and Nespresso is a great business. When you look at what they did, right, they sold a unit, they sold the pods, you had to get the pods through them, and then they started setting up sh- stores and cafes all over the country to pick up the pods. So they had a home business that was really, really strong. They had a retail business that was really, really strong. And then the tie that binds was the, the consumables, right, at the end of the day. And you lo- are locked into the system that everybody agrees is a pretty good system. Like the quality, and, uh, quality what, is good. And what better food type of device to get kind of consumer directed in that consumable constant purchase pattern is, you know, then coffee or tea. Like that's like the ultimate way to get people to get into kind of renewable food subscription. Oh yeah. I, I tell people caffeine is the crack of the food industry, right? It, it is, it is a drug and people are addicted to it. So you can easily sell them more and more and more when, when you find their taste. Um, and I think that's going to be the next thing, which is a lot of these companies include discovery. How do you it, it show them good product so that you can lock someone in. Um, you know, so I think that there's a lot of discovery work that's also being done to kind of connect people with the right brew or the right roast or whatever it is, you know, the right tea leaves from Tiforia's case. Um, that's going to be really interesting. That we're gonna, and this goes back to my whole thesis of personalization. We're all going to have our personalized taste, and these things are going to want to hone in as quickly as possible because that will create a lock-in and a repeatability, and you can only get that thing that you love from me because I know you so well. Um, so I'm really excited about, about the beverage space from, from that perspective. All right. I want to move on to cooking surfaces a little bit and just cooking <laughs> in general. Um, I actually finally saw our friends Rahul and Proxy. Uh, they were actually down at, uh, down in kind of the startup sector with their Smarty Pants. They actually yeah. saw the first Smarty Pan in the wild. What did you think? Uh, it looked pretty cool. I didn't actually test it. It didn't look like a Franken, <laughs> didn't look like a Frankenstein device as often as the fear within time of. Why don't you tell everybody what the Smarty Pan is? Yeah, so Smarty Pans is a sensor-based device. So basically, it can sense, uh, you know, what you're cooking, and you can monitor it, and you know how long it cooks. And I, I, I don't, I'm trying to recall now if you actually do any consumer inputs. I think you have to actually do some user input with the app of what you're cooking. I think it's voice controlled. I think you you dictate right. to the app what you're putting in it. Then it can figure out the health-related things and the cooking time and things like that. So yep. you say, you know, I'm putting broccoli in. Yep. It says, okay, broccoli at this weight. 
has this amount of calories and blah, blah, blah. Or at least that's, that's what I've always seen from them for the last, you know, whatever, six, eight months that we've been, we've been looking at them, you know, and, and watching them kind of evolve. Um, yep. and, and, and so the, the product looks good. I mean, part of the thing is I think we got to think about the cooking surfaces, the stoves, all this stuff. It's part of our environment and it has to be beautiful and we want to have to use it. Um, you know, cause I mean, that is, that is an enclave where beauty and functionality and utility right. do warrant spending the money. Right. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I think it's an interesting approach. I'm actually probably a little bit more excited about, you know, folks like Cinder because mm-hmm. um, I think what they're doing is is interesting. Um, and so we'll see how they goes. One of the one of the interesting things I actually saw, this is completely different than a sensor-based cooking surface, was the Gosun solar-powered grill, Yes, which I thought was kind of cool. And I don't think it's the first solar-powered cooking out there, but it's it's it seems like one of the most approachable ones that I've seen. No, it's not. In fact, um, Jose Andres, a very famous chef out of the East Coast, uh, is backing another solar grill that was shown here in the Bay Area um, back in the summer. So this idea of cooking on the go or cooking in uh, rural or, uh, you know, environments where you can't find or it's hard to find uh, cooking utilities, you know, whether it be firewood or you're, you're a camper or things like that, seems to be a really interesting space and I'm excited about it because it gives you it gives I would say a whole population of people that want to cook outside or don't have the means to cook any other way the ability to make great food yeah and um, what if you could start to couple this to just to to barbecues or to, you yes. know at some level because there's a ton of people that use a lot of you know gas or whatever to basically cook and if you do use solar power that becomes interesting and I don't know if this is a a uh, uh, doomsday prepper market <laughs> at its core, or it's like a huge broad market. I, I think you actually could see this going more broad. Well, so it's funny. Uh, Jose Andres, when he talked about his product, and I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now, but basically he said, when you look at places uh, like India or sub-Saharan Africa, they could spend up to half their day just sourcing wood or the, the, the capabilities to cook something. And and that's bad because that's that's time that they could be spent working and making money to afford the food that they need to put on the plate. And so these solar utilities, not just for the, the camper or prepper market in the U.S., have huge applicability in a worldwide market where resources like gas and things like that are just not easy to come by or you just can't get them out to these rural regions. So the sun is the most replenishable resource we have um, and it just opened my eyes to the, this is not just a first world problem. This is a third world problem. Um, so I, I really am looking forward to Go Sun's solar power grill, checking it out um, uh, and seeing the evolution of uh, new cooking utilities and resources, you know, for more than just, you know, the, 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 the rich people in Silicon Valley, you know, at the end of the day. And it's not just, uh, I, I think that um, looking at, more broadly, kind of the next generation of cooking devices. You know, Anovo is there talking up sous vide. I don't think there were any other sous vide companies there. I don't know if... Uh, um, no, Nomiku, my, my sous vide company that I invested in, again, full disclosure, I invested in a sous vide company called Nomiku, uh, was not there. But Anova was. Um, Cinder wasn't there, were they, you know, from a precision cooking perspective? I don't think Cinder was yeah. there. And I don't, I don't think... Um, Oh, I don't think the Chef Steps was showing anything or there. Yeah, and the Chef Step one that just came out that looks really beautiful as well. So, uh, you know, it was it's surprising to me that there wasn't more sous vide companies. But I also think that's actually a good thing. I think sous vide is, shouldn't be hyped anymore. It should be a utility that everybody should just go pick up at their local, you know, retailer or online. And I'm glad Innova was there to represent. Um, but I think sous vide is about to have its day. And that's why, I obviously, I invested in it. I think it's a better, more consistent way to cook product. Um, that that makes it more foolproof, you know. At the end of the day, I was actually um, sitting next to a, a guy at a dinner I was at at CES, and he told me how he actually started sous vide sous vide cooking with his dishwasher. He actually would <laughs> run a he'd run a load of dishes and cook a steak at the same time. Yeah. With I don't think the quite amount of the precision you could get with this with a Nova sous vide. Because yep. <laughs> you're probably only sitting there 160 degrees, <laughs> and you don't have a lot of flexibility. But I thought that was pretty funny. I, yeah, I heard that story on NPR, and they were like, "It's a great party trick, you know, to do that for for a dinner or something like that." Um, but where, like, I think the Nova sous vide, and why I don't why I don't think it was a big thing at CES uh, in general, the category was because they're under two hundred dollars now. They're just an average gadget, or they are an average cooking utility, or are moving into that category. So I think we're going to see that crossover, uh, which is going to be great. Um, CES for me is always about what's coming next. 
And I'm glad to see that sous vide is almost already there, right? That that the guys didn't necessarily feel they needed. Yeah, it's, now this, it's not one of these crazy kind of futuristic cooking techniques um, and kind of crazy Frankenstein things like the Samsung fridge. It's actually something that you're seeing in, in lifestyle blogs, and you know, you yep. have guys like Kenji writing about. Um, and so people are actually using it. So you'll find it more likely find it in you know what's happening in kind of the people who are looking at the future of, or doing. Good cooking now and slow cooking now. What are they using? They're using sous vide. That's right. And, and I want to talk a little bit more about something more far, farther in the future, which you probably saw there, which was all the cooking robots. So did you yes, get a cooking to robots. I saw a few. I actually swung by, but I didn't get a chance to talk to anyone. So I just kind of I swung by Gormia. Yep. Um, I didn't know was was Serenity there. Serenity was there. Yeah, they were demoing their cooking robot, um, Cookie, um, and they've been out. You know, again, saw them back at Highway One demo yep. days when they yep. were, were starting out. Um, you know, great press. You know, a lot of people saying like, "When are we going to get that Rosie the robot cooking in our kitchen for us?" Um, I, I think we're we're at the really early stages of what a cooking robot or or a cooking utility like that means in our kitchen. There's also one other one I, I ran across, which was the One Cook from Boston Kitchen Robotics. Um, uh, and, and interesting, the gourmet one was interesting because all it focused on was stirring. Um, it would just constantly stir things like eggs or, or um, risotto, right, which are dishes you technically just should stand there and, and stir. So they're taking those problems out of your head. I always have this question of, is it a big enough problem? Like, are we really, like, stuck with having to stand there and stir for a couple minutes to get our good scrambled eggs? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think there needs to be a little bit bigger, higher level problem Yeah, and, and from a UI perspective, are they making it like, are they adding a step? Do you actually have to go to like an app? Or do you actually hit a button on the device? It's like, yeah. it's like the same problem for smart home. I can sure use this app and turn on the lights, or I could just walk over the, the wall and press a button and turn on the lights. So yeah. I think it's one of those things. Are you adding additional points of friction for the consumer and making their life more difficult by throwing kind of cool technology at them? That's right. And, and I think, you know, the jury's still out. I won't call it dead. I won't call cooking robots dead because I think we're so early in what it's very it early. means. But yeah. I'm excited to see what happens. And yeah. that's why I think kind of drink robots or kind of mixing robots are just further along because it's an easier market. I think the cooking robot's going to take more time. Yes. And, and there was one other section that I wanted to touch on briefly, too. And I don't know if you were as excited about this as I am, but I this is one of my probably biggest things I'm excited about in the kitchen is scanners and sensors. Um, you know, so... There was a plethora of people demoing things that were going to detect what was in your food um, there this year. Uh, Six Sensor Labs, uh, again, full disclosure, company that I know and work with, you know, here and there, um, was demoing their allergen detector for gluten and actually won the TechCrunch BattleFit this year, um, which is which is great news to see a, a kitchen equipment or a food equipment company win that um, and, and really stand stand out. But there was other competitors in the space like. The Penguin Food Safety Checker, um, which was <laughs> a very kid-friendly looking device. And then the one I've been waiting for a long time, which is uh, Consumer Physics Diet Sensor, which is based on their SIO handheld spectrometer, which the Kickstarter for that or the, the crowdfunding campaign is a year and a half or two years old now, but they still haven't yet delivered it to market. We've all been waiting for this magic light or sensor that's going to detect what's in our food. Um, so seeing three companies all going yep. in that space and all almost ready to be, you know, out there in consumers' hands was amazing. Yeah, um, and I actually stumbled across uh, a company that actually wrote the first app for the SIO. So the uh, SIO went through a scrapping campaign, but they actually created an SDK for people to write specific apps. And they actually, uh, this guy had written one because I was a little bit confused. I said, are you with SIO? He goes, no, I actually wrote an app. Um, is this he, Diet Sensor? Was I think, this I think it maybe I think it was Diet Sensor, and he yep. just saw the the Kickstarter campaign and got excited about it, and then he approached them and ended up getting access to the SDK. Right. And so I think that's interesting. Not only do you see the hardware over time, you start to see hopefully like a software and app ecosystem built around it. And I think SIO and these food sensors are a logical place for those to happen. That's right. And and the other company that I saw that's talking exactly that same terms is Drop the connected kitchen scale, but more broadly, what they talk about is the kitchen OS, right? They have a recipe app on an iPad that connects to their smart scale, um, and really they want to have utilities for the scale that's a daily habit, right? You use it every single day. It helps you kind of measure out your baking or your drinks or, or do something with your kids, like, you know, make cookies. 
um, I see these new utilities that are going to monitor, manage, and help us eat better. And I'm really excited. Um, they're also coming down in price. Like the drop kitchen skills are $99. Um, so we're all going to have a, a relatively cheap sensor or um, uh, scanners in our kitchen that's going to help us, you know, manage what we're eating, eat better, you know, give us more insight into what we're doing. Um, that's just amazing. And, and I hope, you know, my, my hope is it gets beyond the quant solvers, the people that care about measuring every little thing, and it gets to mass market. You know, and that's going to be the yeah. goal in the next five years with these guys. And I, I know Drop is interesting, but actually a company that's actually been doing this a lot longer is Perfect Drink and Perfect right. Bake, which basically is scale. And I think they actually had some news at CS is Perfect Mix, uh, or Perfect Blend, I think. Yep. Um, where they actually had a blender that we used to scale, and you could do, they actually made me a cocktail. So there's yeah. another kind of uh, scale-based system that can actually be used for making – actually, it was the cocktail. It was a smoothie. It was a really good smoothie. Yeah. So um, I think that's the type of thing, adding uh, sensors and kind of measurement, more precise measurement and tying apps to it to mix drinks whether or even bake I think is really yes. interesting. And that's further along um, than I think a lot of these other – parts in, in the connected kitchen because it's a fairly lower, I guess it's just an easier thing to do. It's an easier thing to do, lower barrier entry. People get it. Um, you know, they get having a kitchen scale in their kitchen and why it would be useful. Um, so I think, and, and that's why there's multiple of these devices on the market selling today. You can go to Target today and buy, you know, either one of these, you know, uh, the perfect baking, perfect mix, you know, uh, drink mix or the drop scale. Um, I think that they have kind of crossed that threshold of being utilities. Um, again, it goes back to, can they be more mass market? Can they be daily use cases? Because we all eat every day, you know, these utilities, they just have to weave into our life naturally uh, um, and, and provide a lot of, a lot of assistance and utility. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. And I'm excited to see innovations kind of in, in along, the lines, along the lines of sensors um, being embedded in cooking or, or kind of containers just to continue on that theme. Um, I don't know if you saw the Ember Perfect Mug. But mm -hmm. they, they actually had a booth there um, at, yep. I think, one of the press events. Basically, it's this coffee or drink holder that fine-tunes your temperature. You can heat it up or, or keep it at the same temperature for, for hours and hours and hours. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know how how big a market there is for that. But if you're one <laughs> of these guys that goes to work with your mug yep. and, and you drink, you're a slow drinker, that might be kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, yes, there is a ton of mugs on the on the market that aren't smart. Do we need, you know, I constantly get this from other investors or advisors space. Do we need this thing to be smart? Like what does it really add at the end of the day? Jury's still out on all these smart cups and, you know, the yeah, number I think, one I think temp how much you temperature control is, I think something that's probably more valuable than just like a bunch of data. Yes. Uh, but I will say, um, the one, uh, uh, what was the very famous one that was on the Colbert show? The vessel vessel. Yeah. yeah so, we talked a little bit about this before offline. You know, that's a disappointing one because they actually didn't bring what they promised, and they didn't do um, a drink uh, a drink receptacle that actually tracks biometric information or, or biological or molecular information. They actually just a, did a volumetric sensor, which I think was pretty disappointing because they were actually promising uh, basically molecular sensing. Right, and I think you know, again, this is where a lot of people, not just Vessel, you know, gets ahead of themselves in their campaigns promises a lot before they've really kind of figured out how, what it's going to take to build that product. Um, I mean, that's really what is crowdfunding is these days. And unfortunately, and you know, I know you and I have talked a lot about this, the crowdfunding needs to change away from that because it doesn't give customer kind of happiness at the end. It, it gives disappointment. Um, but I think they got too far ahead of their skis and I think they pulled back. They're trying to find a market for this volume, volumetric sensing, which I think there is a market for it. There are people that are, you know, that are in the health and wellness space, they're like, you know what, I just need to drink so much liquid to be healthy um, or so much protein shake or whatever it is. Um, I think that there is a market for that, but I think you're right. I think, you know, we want more out of our technology, especially if we're going to spend $99, $199, whatever the price point is of these things. And I'll go back to Ember with that, which is, does the price point warrant what it's doing? Does it have enough value inherent for me to want to spend that money? I mean, I have a really good kind of uh, mug at home that I spent $25, $30 on that keeps my drink uh, you know, warm for six hours. Now, it doesn't give you perfect temp, but it keeps it warm. And now, how much am I willing to pay more to keep it at the right temp, right? That becomes the trade-off I do as a purchaser, as a consumer. Um, so I think we're still a little out of whack. I think 
our technologies are still a little too expensive for the value they bring. But as you and I both know, having been in the hardware business for a long time, those costs come down over time, right? As you're building more and more of the product. Continuing on these, uh, on with uh, these, this theme of connected sensor-based food or drink items. Do you remember? I think it was the first connected, the Happy Fork. Do you remember the Happy Fork? <laughs> yeah. HIPI. Well, they actually showed up again, but under a different name at CS called Slow Control. I don't know if you're aware of that. No, actually, I did not see this. Uh, so, what, what they've actually, I think, basically taken their sensor-based fork and tried to pivot it into basically a, a child's device that trains them to eat more slowly. It's called, the company's called Slow Control. They have a wine process called Yum and Done huh. that includes like a little kid's kind of story and narration around eating. It's kind of... Interesting, but I don't know if it's a little bit sad, too, because they probably <laughs> realized that there wasn't enough of a market for their happy fork. Yes, yes. I think this is actually, I mean, I think it's a big theme that we'll see in 2016 is, um, you know, we don't eat alone. You know, we eat in our families. We, we are a culture of, you know, uh, community, you know, around food. Um, and I've been talking to a number of different entrepreneurs and startups in the space. The idea is, how do we build technology that helps us as a family be better? So I don't know if it's a bad thing that they're that they're focusing. I mean, in a lot of ways, when you're a startup, you have to focus. You have to you have to find a market and just religiously execute in that market. Um, but uh, parents really worry about their kids' eating habits, their eating behaviors. So it may be it may turn out to be a lucrative market for them. You never know. Hey, well, I think we're bumping up against time, but man, we we yeah. stuffed a lot of content in there and and talked about it. This has been a lot of fun. So hopefully. Yeah. Uh, it'll be a good year for the Smart Kitchen 2016. There's certainly, if, if CES is any indication, there's a lot of stuff coming out. Hey, well, if you listened to the whole show, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you uh, didn't get in too annoyed by the quality of the mics. Um, I promise to have actually better recording quality for the next podcast. And like I said, the Smart Kitchen show uh, for 2016 is going to include not only the, kind of the early format we were, we were doing, but also I want to bring some more interviews with different folks in the space that are creating at the edges and doing innovative things so we can all better understand what the future of the Connected Kitchen looks like. And that's really what this podcast is about. So stay tuned for more content, and we'll talk to you all soon.